Hey there, Pastor Mark here. It's our prayer that this message would encourage and equip you in your relationship with Jesus. We're able to provide this content due to the joyful generosity of our financial partners. And if you'd be willing to join that tribe and help get some sermons like this around the world, you can donate at harvestbaptist.info slash give. God bless. Let's go ahead and hop to it. And let's go to John chapter number 20 this morning. We're going to look at the resurrection, of course. But it's amazing to me, if you read the Gospels and you see the stories of the resurrection, that there is relatively little on what I would call the resurrection proper. So we don't have a lot of details on like what happened in that tomb when Jesus rose from the dead, right? Like, was there a burst of light or was it dark inside of there with the stone covering and and taking all the light away? Did the temperature in the room raise or not? I personally want to know, like when I get to heaven, did Jesus like sit right up and just get straight out of bed or did he roll out of bed slowly? Like, did he hit a snooze button at all? Like what happened there? We don't know. We don't know. Most of the stories we have on the resurrection are actually the resurrected Jesus appearing to people. There are stories where Jesus kind of penciled in a meeting on his calendar and decided that he wanted to go meet some people, right? And I was thinking this week about who would I want to meet if I was the resurrected Jesus? Now, my mind, it will show you, my mind's a little bit warped and you'll see some of that as we talk through this. But if I, if I was Jesus and I rose from the dead, like who, who would be at the top of your list that you would want to go see? Towards the top of my list for sure would be Pilate like the guy who had my life in his hands. And ultimately he knew, like Pilate's instincts were screaming, this guy is innocent. And even Pilate's wife's instincts were screaming, like the woman's intuition was like, hey, this guy is innocent. And she interrupted the trial, right? Remember? I don't know how often she interrupted proceedings in Pilate's trials, but I would imagine not very frequently. And she came to him and was like, have nothing to do with this guy. (laughs) Like, he's innocent, get away from this. And Pilate didn't listen. If I was Jesus, I would have loved to have just like found out when Pilate took a walk and he's, you know, he's a ways down the road and he's walking towards me. And I would just want to walk in his direction and just walk by him and have Pilate just kind of stop and his jaw hit the floor and like, was that Jesus? And then just turn around and be like, listen to your wife's instincts, buddy, right? Happy wife, happy life. You should, you should have done better there. I would like to, I'd like to go meet him, right? Some of you wives are like, could Jesus show up to my husband and tell him that? Uh, maybe, I'm not sure. I'd want to go see my mom, right? She's at the cross crying. And I'd want to go to her right away and be like, hey, I'm okay. But I think mate, for me, towards the top of my list, and maybe this shows how vindictive and, and like, malformed I am, but I would want to go see Caiaphas, the high priest and the religious leaders. Like that would be the creme de la creme to know they're having staff meeting on Monday and they're there. Hey, well done last week. Like we got rid of that rebel rouser, well executed, pun intended. Like that was fantastic. And I would just peek my head in the door, but boo, it just walk away. You know, I would want to go see some people and Jesus wanted to see some people. But what you find is that it's not Caiaphas, it's, it's not necessarily his mother right away, it's, it's not Pilate. What you find is the first person Jesus meets is Mary Magdalene in John chapter number 20. And I want you to look at that with me. You'll find in John 20 verse number one, it says, the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene. Now Mary is an early follower of Jesus. She is someone who was possessed of seven devils and she was delivered 
by Jesus's power from this. We would call her a reformed mental patient. And Mary goes all in, like there's no dimmer switch on Mary. Like what Jesus is saying, she's listening to. If Jesus is, is going somewhere, she's following. If Jesus needs something, she's funding it. Like she is all in with Jesus. And it tells us that early when it was yet dark, she went into the sepulcher and see if the stone take it away from the sepulcher. Now, Mary was not coming to the tomb with her lawn chair and popcorn to watch the resurrection, okay? She wasn't showing up for the sunrise service. Mary was very taken back by this. And we know this because the next verse tells us she runs and she cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John. And she says unto them, they've taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher and we know not where they've laid him. So she flips a lid, right? She's running, she's screaming, she is beside herself. And what you find is that they go back to the tomb. Peter and John come with her. They look around. John actually believes that Jesus rose from the dead in those moments. And then you find this later in the text, verse 10. The disciples went away again into their own home. But Mary stood without the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and she looked into the sepulcher. And she saw two angels in white sitting. One at the head, one at the feet. Where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said unto her, woman, why weepest thou? Why are you, why are you crying? And she said unto them, because they've taken away my Lord and I, I don't know where they've laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and she saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. And Jesus said unto her, woman, why weepest thou? Why are you crying? Whom seekest thou? Who are you looking for? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, sir, if thou have borne him hence, if you've taken him away, tell me where you've laid him and I'll take him away. And Jesus said unto her, Mary, and she turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Now, on one hand, this text is here to show us that this distraught woman is comforted by a resurrected Savior, and that's beautiful. But on the other hand, the text is almost comical. And it shows us that, like, it took 16 verses and a whole lot of clues for Mary to finally get the reality that Jesus had risen from the dead. Like Mary blew through at least three stop signs. Like there's clues all around her. If, if the clue said Professor Plum in the kitchen with the candlestick, Mary thinks it's Shrek in the pool with the Rubik's cube. Like she's really on the wrong page here. Clue number one was an empty tomb, right? This clue was, was a pretty monumental clue because John saw it and what did John do? John believed, right? It was enough to bring John to faith. But Mary goes right through it. Then, if that's not enough, there's two angels. There are angels in there talking to her. If you read Luke's account, it tells you that the angels actually have a bit more to say. And that the angels, more or less, I'm paraphrasing, but the angels more or less say, didn't Jesus tell you that he was going to die and three days later raise from the dead? Like, wasn't that his sermon? Like, I don't, I don't know if you take notes often, but that seems like a portion of the sermon you would have taken notes on. Like, I'm shocked you're shocked. Like, I think you should have shown up here like Cape Canaveral counting down, like five, four, three, lift off. Like someone should have got a 10 foot by 40 foot banner on wheels and be like, ready to see your fixer upper? And like, show it everybody. Like this, this should have happened, but you're oblivious. Like, how did you miss this, right? And if that's not enough, 
here comes Jesus. And she hears him, she sees him, but it doesn't click, right? Put it together. She has heard teaching that Jesus will die and raise from the dead. She's at the tomb. The tomb is empty. There's angels. Jesus shows up, but Mary's like angels from angels. Like, where'd you take him? He's dead still, right? And it's meant to show you that something's just not clicking. And the question is why? Why is something not clicking? And here's why I think something's not clicking. She's grieving. She is tore up. And Jesus comes to her patiently, winsomely, and he comes to her to heal her heart, to take some brokenness and to fix it. But what you need to know is that when you are broken, when you are down, when you are grieving, you will tend to miss God. I see this all the time. Of good people that love the Lord, have a habit of going to church, that they sincerely love the Lord, but something big or catastrophic happens in their life, and all of a sudden, they don't suppose God to be the gardener, but they suppose God to be missing in action. They suppose God to be capricious. They suppose God to be against them. They suppose God to just not care anymore. And they begin just to miss God in their everyday life. And the irony of this moment is here is the greatest miracle in the history of the world. And there is no one more in the middle of it. No one than Mary. She's right here at the greatest demonstration of God's love and power and wisdom in the middle of this. And she thinks it's a disaster. Like she is just missing what's happening spiritually. Why? Because she's hurting. That's why. And Jesus in love and in patience and in grace is trying to lead her back to see, no, I'm here. I am with you. I am present. I haven't left. He's trying to help her get back there, right? And I don't know all of your stories. I don't know what's happened in your life. But in a room this size, I am absolutely certain that this week and this month and this year, there have been some, some hurting hearts that are amongst us. And if that's you, I want you to know that you know that you know that he's there. That he hasn't left. That God is not far. Actually, he's close. What does Psalm tell us? Psalms tells us, that God is actually close, he's nigh, to them that are of a broken heart and to those that are of a contrite spirit, he saves them. Here's the point. If you're hurting this morning, Jesus is not as distant as you think, so look for him. Look for him. You may have blinders on and you can't see him, but I'm telling you, he's there. If you're hurting this morning, we'd love to help. On Friday, there was a family that stopped and they just mentioned some hurts and we stopped and we prayed just in the middle of the lobby. This morning after the first service, a family stopped me and they're going through some stuff and we just stopped and we prayed. Pastorally, we'd love to help, but more than pastorally, more than our church, I want you to know God is there. You find in the next chapter that Jesus shows up to somebody else. He shows up to Peter. And you see that Jesus not only wants to heal some hurts, but Jesus also wants to restore some rebels. We all know the nursery rhyme of Humpty Dumpty, right? He fell down, he got broke. And all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again, right? John 21 is this story where all the king's horses and all the king's men don't show up, but the king himself shows up to put Humpty Dumpty back together. 
And what you find is Peter's fishing, Jesus calls them in, they make a fire, they have some fish, they eat a meal. And after this meal, Jesus stops and he says this to Peter, the man who had just denied him three times, around a fire, and they're around a fire again, hint, hint. Peter is asked three times if he's on team Jesus and he denies and curses three times. And Jesus is going to ask him a question three times, hint, hint, to try to bring him back, to try to restore and recommission him. And here's how it goes, verse 15. So when they had dined, Jesus said unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Do you love me the most? And Simon said, yes, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Then Jesus said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he said unto him, feed my sheep. Then he said unto him a third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And by now, Peter was grieved because he said unto him a third time. Peter's getting the message. Do you love me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. You know that I love thee. And Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. What is Jesus doing? He's doing more than making Simon painfully retrace his steps. He is recommissioning and he's putting Simon back on a path and saying, Simon, I got a plan for you. Simon, I have a purpose for you. I have some lambs, I have some sheep, I have some people that I want you to feed, I want you to lead, I want you to love. Uh, I don't wanna set you on a shelf. I don't want you to spend your days fishing. I have a purpose for you. I know, I know that you've sinned and it's kind of some industrial grade sin to deny your savior three times publicly in that fashion when it's his darkest hour. But Simon, I still have a plan for you and I wanna put you back on track. And I think deep down, Simon knows that the Lord God is what? Full of compassion. He's gracious. He's long suffering. He's plenteous in mercy and in truth. That's our God. You know, I'm constantly looking for illustrations to help take a point from the Bible and make it come alive. And I thought this week, I don't know that I could give you a better illustration of this point of Jesus wants to restore some rebels than just to say, look around at the people that are right next to you. Now I know it's Easter, okay? He said, I look around, you know, people are, they look nice. You know, they got their, they got their Sunday best. They got their Easter best. Look, look like a bunch of put together people in here. And kudos to you. You all look great, right? All the pastels. I saw some kids in some bow ties this morning. You made it through the Harvest Parking Lot Hunger Games unscathed and you're still put together. So congratulations, right? You look good. But if you're new, don't let looks be deceiving, okay? You're sitting amongst, amongst a bunch of rebels who needed to be restored. You may be sitting around some people that look put together, but I'm here to tell you, you're with some people that were kicked out of school we're not gonna make you raise your hands, don't worry. It's, this isn't a show and tell time. You're sitting among some people who have restraining orders and some misdemeanors and some felonies and some jail time. You're sitting a, a, around a bunch of people who have some regrets and some mistakes and some, some things they wish they wouldn't have done. You're sitting around a whole lot of people who would say, man, I really messed that up and I hurt myself and I hurt them. You're sitting around people who are broken. 
And that's all of us. The gospel tells us that all of us sin, that all of us are broken. And you're sitting around a bunch of people who have been redeemed and have been saved and have been put back together again. You're around a bunch of Humpty Dumpties, right? And we haven't been put back together because we're good or because of our works or because somehow we cleaned ourselves up. We're put back together because of the grace and the goodness and the long suffering and the mercy of a God who comes and dies for us and redeems us and raises from the dead and says, I want to put you back together. That's the point. And Peter's this guy, the one he knows the Lord, but at this moment, he's far from the Lord. And you may be in this room, I'm like, hey, I'm here, it's Easter, you know, I'm one of your Christers, the Christmas and Easter crowd, I'm here, I know the Lord, but truthfully, if I'm honest, pastor, I am not close or clean with my Savior. And I want you to know, you can be. You take one step towards Jesus, he'll take a thousand towards you. It's not complicated, and you need to know, here's the lesson from Peter. God's not ditching you, so love him. Peter found out that day, Jesus wasn't jumping ship. Jesus wasn't giving up. Jesus wasn't gonna call it quits because Peter had messed up and he had sinned royally. Jesus was gonna stay there and he was gonna love him. And he said, Peter, why don't you love me back? If Jesus isn't ditching you, love him. Love him, be all in with him. Lastly, I want you to see Thomas. Thomas is right in the middle of these two. There's Mary and there's Peter, but right in the middle is Thomas. And you learn from Thomas that Jesus defeats doubts. So if you're hurting this morning or if you're rebelling this morning or if you're doubting this morning, I wanna, I wanna let you know that a risen Lord is there for you. Here's Thomas's story in John chapter number 20. Thomas, who is one of the 12 called Didymus, we know him as Doubting Thomas, uh, not well-known, but he had a twin sister named Lazy Susan, actually, and they've, they've become very famous over the years. All the Susans, I'm sorry. <clears throat> he didn't really have that sister. If you're like, where is that? It's, it's not in there. He was not with them when Jesus came. Thomas was not with the disciples when Jesus showed up for a group meeting. And the other disciples, therefore, they said to him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Except I shall see his hands in the print of the nails and put my finger in the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, I don't know what made Thomas so skeptical exactly, but it has to be pretty strong skepticism because the testimony of the, of the apostles that Jesus had risen from the dead has been enough probably to convince you if you put your faith in Jesus because you didn't see him personally, you're taking their testimony. It also was maybe enough to convince Jesus's like half brothers. So Mary and Joseph have some kids, right? They share a mother, Mary, but not a father, Joseph. And he has some half brothers, Jude, James. Maybe there's some other J's in there. I'm not sure. Jimmy, Juan, somebody. But Jude and James put their faith in a risen savior. Who is their half-brother? Now, I want, I, want, I want that to sink in for a minute, okay? Raise of hands, how many of you have a brother, okay? Lock the elbow for me, put it up high. How many of you have a brother? Keep your hand up if you've ever written a worship song to your brother. All right, we got a, we got a zero response rate. That is, that is that's, generally people don't respond well to that one, right? I have some brothers. I have four brothers. I have two older, two younger. I'm right in the middle of five. 
I love my brothers. I even like my brothers most days. But if one of my brothers came to me or the rest of us and said, behold, (laughs) worship me. You know what's gonna happen? He's getting slapped upside the head, what's gonna happen, right? There's not a chance, there's not a chance. And Jesus' brothers, they worship him. They declare that he is the risen God. Like the testimony of the apostles was something that was strong. And Thomas says, "Uh uh-uh, nope, I need to see it for myself. So what happens? Verse 26, after eight days again, the disciples were within and Thomas was with them. And then came Jesus, the doors being shut, he stood in the midst and he said, peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas. And what did Jesus say? Seriously, bro? Like their testimony wasn't enough? You're gonna make me show up eight days later again? You don't think I have stuff to do? I I wanted to go crash their staff meeting and here I gotta show up to you, buddy, you know? What's your problem? You you wanna touch my hands? What's the deal, man? He He doesn't say any of that. And sometimes that's how the church treats people who are skeptical or doubting. That sometimes, and this is not a good thing, the church will basically have an approach of like, seriously? Like we get it, why don't you get it? What's your problem? Just have faith. And that's not helpful. It's not helpful in the least. Because what does Jesus do? He doesn't throw him down. He doesn't stomp on him because he has some doubts. Jesus gives him a demonstration. And here's what he says. He says, Thomas, reach forward your finger, reach into thy finger. Go ahead, behold my hands. Put forth your hand, thrust it in my side. Don't be faithless, be not faithless, but believing. Thomas, you drew a line in the sand. You said, I gotta touch his hands. I gotta touch his side. Here I am, bro. Go ahead. Touch him. Feel me. I'll meet you where you are. I'll help answer your doubts. That's, that, that's, a, that's an important lesson. It's an important lesson that tells me that God doesn't want you to stay in your doubts. He wants you to not be faithless, but believing, but he'll help you through those doubts. Questions are valid, right? And even here at the church, we want you to know if you're skeptical or like, eh, I don't know, I showed up for Easter because it's the pain that I have to go through to gain the Easter meal. I wanna keep mom happy, so I'm here, you know, I'm alongside of her. But I I don't know about all this stuff. Listen, questions are welcome, that's okay. You may need to figure something out. Thomas did, and Jesus met him where he was at and said, Thomas, I have something for you. And you need to know, Jesus isn't disappointed in your doubts. He's not disappointed in your doubts. So reach out to him. Reach out to him. Say, God, I don't know for sure, but show me. If if this is real, I wanna know. I'm open to it. Reach out. He's not disappointed in you. You know what disappointment is? Disappointment is the gap between our expectations and reality, right? You book a two-star hotel and you get bad customer service, you're not disappointed because you kind of expected it, right? You book a four or five-star hotel and you get bad customer service, you're disappointed because you expected more. Wrap your head around this. God knows everything. He knows everything. 
So his expectation of what's going to happen is spot on all the time. There is no gap in between his expectations and reality. Expectations are reality for God. So there's not disappointment. God can get angry at sin, sure. Whole different conversation. But if you think that God's disappointed in you because you're questioning or you're struggling or you have some sort of doubts, you're misunderstanding God, reach out to him. He wants to help you through that. He wants to bring you to a point of faith. And ultimately, what does Thomas do? Well, verse 28, last verse, Thomas answered and said to him, the most simple but beautiful confession of faith, maybe in all the Bible, my Lord and my God. What happens? Thomas believes. And Thomas doesn't believe in something. Thomas believes on someone. It is never recommendable to believe in something. I would never tell you, believe in this church. Believe in me. Believe in your baptism. Believe in your catechism. Believe in your confirmation. Believe in whatever. No, no, don't believe in that. Believe on Jesus. And there's a difference between believing in and believing on. I tell you this often, but there is, a, there is an extreme difference. Maybe the best illustration I could give, and I'll give it to you in closing, is a tightrope walker from the 1800s. He was born in France, and at five years old, Charles Blunden was put into acrobat classes by his parents. At 31 years of age, he immigrated to America. He lived in New York City. And he decided that he wanted to put on a show. He wanted to have a tightrope walking show and that he would walk across Niagara Falls. And you can Google him. You can see bunches of pictures of him walking across Niagara Falls. There's, there's some there for you to see. What he found was that people would come see him walk across on a tightrope. But once you see it once, you've seen it. Like, I don't know that I need to go back. So he kept upping the ante, trying to get people to come back to give him more money or sell more tickets and to, and to make a, a show out of this. So he decided that he would walk across, he would tightrope like while pushing a wheelbarrow. He at one point in time did it in a sack. I'm not sure how he pulled that off, but he like shimmied in a sack across it. He did it on stilts at one point in time. But there was one specific day where there was a crowd there and he had done his, his show and he asked the crowd, he said, how many of you think that I can walk across this while giving someone a piggyback ride? And the whole crowd said, yeah. And then Charles said, let me have a volunteer. And everyone said, no. <laughs> nope. And it was this moment where everyone believed in Charles, but nobody wanted to believe on Charles. He actually, you can Google it. There's a picture. Somebody took him up on it and he did. He gave someone a piggyback ride across it, crazy as it is. But I meet people all the time that say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I believe Jesus was real. He, he, he walked the earth. I believe he was a prophet. I believe that he was God. I believe that he was born of a virgin. I believe he died on a cross. I believe he rose from the dead. Great, I'm not minimizing that. What I'm trying to tell you though, is you can believe in all those things, but never functionally believe on. And there is a difference. And I would love for you to believe on. You say, how do I know if I've believed on? Here's how I'd say it. Okay, you believe in Jesus. Well, riddle me this. How would you have right standing with God? How would you get to heaven? How would you get your sins to be taken care of? 
If your answer is something to the tune of, well, I've been baptized, well, I've gone to church, well, my good will outweigh my bad, listen to me, you haven't believed on. And I hate to say it that bluntly, but it's the truth. You're still believing on yourself. Your works, your religiosity, your good outweighing your bad. Believing on Jesus is, I put all of my faith and all of my trust squarely on him. He pays for my sins. He forgives me of my sin. He gives me a home in heaven. He redeems me. He does it. Not me, him. I believed on him. I I would go so far as to say it this way. He'll give me a piggyback ride to heaven. He'll be the one that I rest in. 